Well, our preacher teacher this morning is Kyle Harless. And Kyle, I want you to go ahead and come up here as I talk about you for a little bit. And, uh, and then I'll pray for you as well. So uh, Kyle and Hetty Harless, there she is right there, uh, been members of our church for many years. And then they moved to Harrodsburg uh, just a few years ago, just broke a heart. Uh, even though we knew it was, it was God's timing for them, and, and we miss them so much. Their oldest son, Ezekiel, is in college at uh, Lee University. He's working down there this summer. And if you saw Samuel, the young man that he is, oh, there he is in the back wave out of Samuel. So good to see him getting all tall on us, and, uh, and Malachi's growing up on us. So it's so great to just be with family uh, and your family today. Uh, one thing that God was doing and it still is in Carl's uh, heart and life, is developing a preaching-teaching gift uh, where not only did he get revelation for himself out of the Word, but for others. And just have appreciated uh, a number of years ago, and then we still want to, uh, as the door opens, just to continue to let him minister to us. And so this is one of those opportunities, and um, and, and I'm, I really have a, a witness of his heart and in how he uh, just gives truths of God's word uh, to us. So let's pray over him and for us as we um, let him minister here. Father, the elders of the church, we um, receive uh, Kyle and Hetty as ministers of your gospel. Uh, Lord God, we receive them as uh, our continued spiritual family. And so it is our privilege to, to receive now the word of God uh, through Kyle, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide him and lead him as he delivers this message. And by the Holy Spirit, you will open up our ears and hearts to receive what you have for us this day, that, Lord, your word will be planted in us and grow and bear fruit uh, for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give Kyle a big hand as he comes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's good to be back home. And um, sometimes you don't miss it till you're back here and seeing all these wonderful faces. Um, Stephen says some things about, right? I've been, last few years, I've been developing a gift that God has given me. I got it in Honduras um, on a mission trip. And I, when you preach, you kind of give yourself a little bit to yourself. And people get to know you differently from up here because you tell yourself and you just pour yourself out a lot. Um, but one thing you know, may not know about me is, I like to make people uncomfortable. I like to make you uncomfortable, and I like to watch your reaction because it entertains me. And one of the things I like to do is when I'm first getting to know somebody and they make some type of general observation about behavioral, like, you really like coffee, and I do really like coffee, or like, you're really quiet. How can you be so quiet? I just, I'm just a quiet person. But my, whatever the observation is, my response is usually the same. I always say, well, you know, 20 years in prison changes a man. <laughs> and I just leave it there. I leave it blank and I let the door. And I, people's faces will light up. I even had one dear sweet lady that I actually had to repent of. She actually grabbed her heart. She goes, oh. <laughs> And then usually, Hetty is the gift of mercy. She'll come in and say, Kyle worked for the Department of Corrections for 20 years and retired. <laughs> so, um, but recently, 
before the pandemic at our church in Danville, um, they were sharing a vision statement for their year vision statement. And it had three visions. First of all, we wanted to be um, active at Center College and doing the ministry, working with the college students from Center College. We also talked about doing family ministries up in our youth group and purchasing some, some, some building near Center, and we wanted to provide. But the third one was they wanted to do prison ministry. And upcoming to, to announce the vision statement, they all gave a sermon series on each one. And when it came time for the prison one, the preacher, he did a really good job, but I thought he lacked context. And I thought, and I struggled with it because he lacked context. It was like, if I told you about going to the moon, you'd be understanding. But what if somebody in here were sitting here had actually been to the moon? And you knew what the moon was like, and you knew that I was telling you something, but I was telling you facts, but I never experienced it. And that's kind of what I was feeling. And I was struggling with this, and I was wrestling with it, and I just kept thinking, what would I want him to say? What would I want to say? What, the, what was the message that I wanted to hear? And the message was, Tell them to get to know Joe. That's what I titled this name, Getting to Know Joe. Joe stands for Joe Convict. It's kind of like John Q. Public, but in trainings, we refer to Joe as Joe, Joe Convict. So we talk about Joes in general. Joe represents everybody, but he also represents nobody, just like John Q. Public. Um, and I said, I wish we'd taken time to get to know Joe. And the reason why I want to get to know Joe is in Matthew 25, Jesus says Joe is part of the least of these. And in the parable of Matthew 25, you'll find, you'll find out that what you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. And what you don't do for these people, you don't do for Jesus. So getting to know Joe is a way of getting to know Jesus. And that is the reason why I wanted to preach this word. But before we get to know Joe, you've got to understand the environment. Correctional facilities are a place of not just sin, but of great sin. And because they're a place of great sin, they're also a place of great pain. No, 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 everybody will tell you, pain always follows sin. Pain always follows sin. And if anybody tells you different, they're selling you something. And because prison and correctional facilities are a place of, of sin, they're a place of pain. And I wanted to look at the pain. And the Bible is full of Joes. There's Joes littered all through the Bible. But I wanted to focus on one Joe in particular. It's the, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, we, we probably know the most about Joe through the Apostle Paul. But we also know... His, some of his pain that I wanted to show you tonight. His pain from being in incarceration. I wanted to look at four different pains. First of all, the pain of separation, the pain of being deserted, the pain of boredom, and the pain of reparation. We'll start with the pain of separation. That's the whole incarceration series is we take you from where you live in your community and we put you somewhere else. We separate you from those in your family, those who love you, those who are connected to you. It is a very big pain. Paul experienced this pain in the book of Acts. 
Acts 21.8. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea area and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the sevens. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. Coming over us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. In this way, they take his belt, they tie his hands and his feet. This is a common way we transport inmates in the Department of Corrections, any Department of Corrections. We take a pair of handcuffs, we tack it to your, to, your, to your belt, and then we tackle your hands up. In this way, this prophet is, is prophesizing over Paul. It says, you will be incarcerated, you will be transported with chains and, and off. And you should read the response of the people when they had this image of a man in a transport restraints. Next slide, please. And when we heard this, we, the people of Jerusalem, pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Pleaded with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't become that man that's incarcerated. Don't be taken prisoner. And Paul's response was, I want you to hear the, the, the emotion. Why are you weeping? And breaking my heart. I am not only ready to be bound, but also die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you to feel the emotion and the pain. Your, Paul is, the people are weeping because they're going to be separated from me. This is a man who's poured his life into this church. And they're breaking Paul's heart. You know, the, for me, the worst day in prison, it was always... Mother's Day. Mother's Day weekend is the worst day to work for me. It's because, it, it's actually it's a biblical scripture in there, but we get the same, would you put that biblical scripture up there? There should be a, a Isaiah from Isaiah. Yeah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compa- compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I'll never forget you. That's a rhetorical question. No, the mother can't forget. If you ever worked a visiting room during Mother's Day, you'll know that the mother cannot forget you. It is crazy. We get the same volume on Mother's Day as we do as we do Christmas. But in Christmas, we get two extra days so we can get them through. We only got two days to get that same volume through, so we're always getting visits short because we want every Joe to visit his mom. And, it's, and, the, and the cycles are like this. You come in and there's this, there's this great exclamation of joy. And they're coming and they're hugging. And then all of a sudden we have to break it up. And you'll see the tears and the hugging in the last part. And just trying to break it up. And then they go their separate ways. But here's the thing about it is, is, is that's not when you really see the pain of separation on Joe. You see the pain is when I take him to, to search him before he returns to the yard. You see, Joe has to make a transformation. He likes being that little boy with his mom. And the biggest, strongest men with the worst reputation on the yard, the one, this is the man you don't mess with, but you put him in front of his mom, and he's like, he's giddy, he's giggling. He's like, oh, mom. And then mom doesn't just come by herself. Mom always brings the kids, the grandkids. 
you know. And then you see this man with his mom, with his little girl on his lap, and he has to end their the visit. And when we take him back in to search him, here's Joe's secret. Joe doesn't want to transform back to what he has to be to be able to live on that yard. Joe wants to be that little boy in the presence of his mom. And it's painful to watch that transformation. And you feel that pain of separation. One day while I was doing my rounds, I do my rounds, this is what we go to the pain of being deserted. I was making my rounds. I usually make my final rounds of the day. And I'd always go up to this room, and there was a group of Joes, and they had their own little supper club. They would go to the, to the commissary and buy whatever ingredients they need, but they'd always make this um, suppers together. But they weren't your normal ramen noodles type of college food that we normally get in prison. These were actual meals. These were casseroles. These were like, and they actually smelled good. And I kept, I went to the, and they were doing this day after day after day. So finally I went to this group of Joes and I said, what's the deal? Why are you living so much better than everybody else? This isn't normal. And one guy said, when Joe steps up, he goes, yeah, my wife, she, she sent me this cookbook. I said, a cookbook? A cookbook? Because a cookbook requires ingredients that you just don't have. You're only limited to your commissary. It requires a thing called an oven. You do not have an oven. You only have a microwave. And I said, how does, I don't understand. How does a, how does a, a recipe, how a cookbook help you? And Joe looked at me and he goes, no, you don't understand, Mr. Harless. He goes, yep. I sent the commissary list to my wife, and she sent me back this cookbook. And I'm looking at this cookbook, and I'm thinking, what? I'm saying, let me get this right. You sent whatever's in the commissary. Your wife went to your, her kitchen, turned it into a cask kitchen, and made a cookbook worth only the ingredients that you bought, using only a microwave. And I'm like, and I look over there, and there's like between 100 to 200 recipes. And I'm like, what? What? That is, that is unreal. And I hand the cookbook back to Joe, and I said, I really hope you appreciate what a treasure you have. And he looked at me and goes, you're right, Mr. Ross. I don't deserve her. I don't deserve her at all. I tell you that story because it's remarkable, because that's not Joe's normal experience. Joe comes with promises of visits, promises of letters, promises of money. Um, they come at first fairly frequently, then they stop coming, and they come, the parts become more or less frequent. Um, there's less money, there's less visits. And then finally one day, you get the letter that says, Dear Joe, I met somebody else, and I'm moving on. That's the pain of desertion. Paul, feel, and you're set there and you're left all alone. Um, I talked with some military men this morning before, before the service about the charge of desertion. It's actually a military charge. Um, it talks about the loneliness that people fear because of, of divert, desertion. But it also talks about is we all come together. We need each other. I need you. You need me. And if I desert you, then I leave you not able to fill your, commission, your, your mission. But also is sometimes we chase after the deserter. And sometimes we get hurt going after those who have deserted. We put those people's lives at risk. Paul knows what it means to be deserted. 
This is in 2 Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demasia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful for me in my ministry. Go to the next search. And then at my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Paul was left alone in prison. He fails his charges. Those who he thought was going to be side by side, they, and it came time, he was left all alone to face the charges. Paul knows what it's like to be deserted, just like Job. But the one thing about prison, I don't think the movies really really tell a good story, the TV shows, is, is that prison is ultimately boring. It is mind painfully boring. You just go from one day to the next day, and nothing really happens. I think we've had a taste of this boredom through this pandemic. We've all been confined to our homes. Um, you can only watch that movie as many times as you watched it. You know, one, I can't watch this movie anymore. I can't watch this show anymore. I can't read the same books anymore. I'm bored. I need to do something. Paul felt this pain of boredom. If you read in, in Acts, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he reported them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to pause the story there. We have Paul and Silas on a floor in chains, and that's where the story ends. There's no entertainment. There's nothing else to do. We sit there, and for hours, they have nothing else to do. It's boring. How does Paul and Silas deal with their pain for that night? You go on. At midnight, so many hours passed of no entertainment, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Then suddenly a violent earthquake that all the foundation of the prisons were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. They got through the night by praying and worship. They got through the night. But it got them through the night. Prayer and worship will get you through a moment. But what do you really need when you're going through boredom? I want to say something that's counterculture. We were not made to be entertained. God did not make us entertained. God made us to work. If you look in the garden, Adam, God put Adam to work tending the garden. If you look at the study of work, we were not made to be entertained. Life is not about us. Life is made to be worked. You were born with a purpose. And you were born with a plan. And God made you. God had a purpose and then made you. He didn't make you and then try to find a purpose for you. God made you with a purpose. And if you look, Paul got through the night praising and worship. But Paul went through a long term of incarceration by working. You'll see we have four, the Bible has four letters from, written from Paul in in the prison. They are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are the four we have. I gotta believe there's more that we don't have. 
Paul became an apostle. He became not just a church planner, but he, beca- he would write to, to churches and impart to churches. He would be a church governance and a leadership. It took time. It took work. But it got him through his incarceration. It got him through his work. I know during the pandemic, I praise God for my garden because I was able to work through the pandemic. Whenever I got boredom, I always had weeds to pull. I always had something to till. I always had something to pick. I've always had something to can. Um, And Hetty and I actually grew closer during the pandemic because we worked together. And um, I'm thankful for God that he gave me, and I learned the value of work. Society will tell you is you're made to be entertained. You're made, it's all about you. But the Bible tells you you were made to work and serve him. And then the final pain, I was talking to Joe one day. And Joe, just out of the blue, said, Mr. Harless, you've always been good to me and you've always listened to me. Um, I want to tell you something. I said, I'm I'm listening, Joe. I want to tell you my story, how I got here. I said, Joe, do you really want to? I read it. He goes, no, I want to tell you. I was riding my motorcycle. I had my little girl on the back of it. I had to lay the, 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 we had an accident, laid the motorcycle down, and my little girl did not make it, and she passed away. And when they tested my blood, it came back with some substance in it. Then with the tears drinking down his face, he goes, Mr. Harless, you know the worst part about being in prison? I said, no, tell me. The worst part is no matter what I do, no matter how much I suffer, no matter how much pain I endure, I cannot bring my little girl back. I can't make this right. And I want so bad to make this right. I believe Paul felt that same pain. He felt the pain of reparation. Go to the next slide, please. Okay. Um, There should have been a slide. It says, Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. Okay. Go back. Yeah, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came in this world to save sinners. Amen. That's his purpose. And then Paul adds, of whom I am the worst. And I always read that thinking Paul was just being a false bragging, you know, just like, yeah, yeah, I'm the best sinner. But the more I study Paul, the more I realize Paul doesn't make those false claims. Paul doesn't make those false false bravados. If Paul says he's the worst sinner, he could probably make the case for it. And he could defend that charge. And I would say, think of a wildfire that covers hundreds of, and hundreds of miles, and it burns hot. It burns people's homes down. It burns people's property. It takes people's lives. And the people who fight the fire even succumb to it. And let's say that this fire has come through, and it's been put out, but the investigation came back, and it was definitively your campfire that you did not put out was the cause of that fire. I want to show you that this is what Paul may have felt. Now I have to go to the next slide. And Paul approved of their killing him. And that, who's that killing him? was Stephen, the first martyr. On that day, on that day, that day you know when we killed Stephen, 
a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That day when Stephen, Paul was there. He approved of the stoning of Stephen. He approved of the killing of Stephen. Not only did he start this fire or wildfire persecution that they were facing, he fanned the flame in three. He said he went from town to town. He didn't even give him a chance to grieve. And they were pulling people away and separating their men and their, ch- their children from their, from their families. He was put in a place of pain. And then you see, and even you see in Hebrews 11, you'll see what this wildfire persecution was built to, had gone to. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated them. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, living in caves, holes in the ground. See, Paul was the one who started that fire. And he fanned it. And i got to ask you a question. How many scriptures do I have to write to make up for that? How many churches does Paul have to plant to make up for that? How many beatings and stonings and shipwrecks does Paul need to say? So if you're Paul, you're saying, I am the worst of the sinners. I am the worst because of what you're suffering, because I started what you're suffering. But that's the good news of Judgment Day. Judgment Day is the day the promise is, is that I'm going to make everything right you got wrong. Judgment Day is the day where mercy and justice meet. And God says, I'm going to make it right. Everything I got wrong, everything you got wrong is going to be made right. That's the promise of judgment. That's why the Christian sees Judgment Day as a day of joy, not a day of shame. But I have a confession. I didn't really come to talk about Joe's sin. I came to talk about Joe's sin. And my sin. Because we're all Joe. I am Joe. I, have, I am a convicted person. I have been convicted of the law of God. I have broken the law of God. And I am Joe. And this Joe that we've been studying, he says, you're Joe too. Read it in Romans chapter 3. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one that does good, not even one. We're all Joe. We are all Joe. And we share Joe's pain. We've all been separated from God. Our sin separates us from God. We all know what it's like to count on somebody, to be there for them, and then you turn and they're not. And we also know the pain of boredom. We also know that we've spent our life not knowing our purpose, not living in our purpose. We've spent time thinking about this and been bored. I think, what is my life worth? And why was I put on earth? And we've all known about the pain of reparation. We've all said things, done things, went that way, well, we know we just can't make it right. Sorry doesn't fix it. Sorry just 
doesn't fix it. Doesn't even begin to fix it. But I really also believe that this is also um, the mission of the church. What I'm about to say is, is what I've developed into my um, philosophy of ministry. And it's based on two books. The first book is Chris Hodges, The Four Cups. And the second book is Bob Russell's When God Built a Church. The purpose of the pain of separation. I, think, I believe churches should see their Sunday morning service as their primary focus for evangelism. This is the place where we come to meet and to worship and to bring in the presence of God. This is the place where we come to, where we, we, we acknowledge we live in a world that's separated from God. And we bring Him here and we invite Him here. And we hope that people will see and experience God, whether it be through the child care, whether it be through the parking lot, whether it be through the worship music, whether it be somewhere, we hope that you experience God. And that pain of separation is gone even for just a second. This is a place where we're supposed to not be deserted. John Beverly, in his book, Killing Kryptonite, talks about the armor of God. You put on the armor of God. You put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet of the gospel, your shield of faith, and your sword of the word. But he made an observation. You've ever noticed about it? It's all forward-facing. It faces forward, but it leaves your backside vulnerable. And you know a backside attack can be a fatal. But what he says is, is how are we supposed to protect our back? I'm supposed to take my sword of shield and put it in your back. And I'm supposed to trust you to put your sword of shield in my back. And we come together. But those bonds don't just happen overnight. They take time. That's why life group is important. That's why Sunday school is important. That's why fellowships are important. That's why service projects are important to build those bonds of trust so I can trust that I know you, that I know your motives, that when you put your shield of faith in my back, I can trust you. And then finally, we're supposed to have something. You have something called... We help you find your gift. We help you find your purpose. We look at your life. We look at what God's given you. We look at your pain, your experiences, your life experience. We give you something that God, we help you find it. The church is supposed to be there. And then when we find that purpose, we give you an opportunity to serve in that purpose. And you'll find that what you get is something is when we come together and churches focus on these pains, churches give their members a life of purpose. They give you something. You're serving something far greater than yourself. And they give you a life of significance. My prayer is today is that there's one person in here, or one of many, who came today and you didn't want to come. It was a bad week. You, you read some things you weren't supposed to read. You said some things you weren't supposed to say. And you feel that pain of separation. And you feel like God can't love me. God is ashamed of me. But here's the thing about the pain of separation is that it cuts both ways. It's amazing. I understand that, yes, it causes me great pain to be separated by God. But it causes God 
great pain to be separated from you. That is the astounding part. And how do I know it? Because in Hebrews, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned in its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is that joy? That joy is you were separated. And in Mark, he proves it. Mark. Should be a Mark. In Mark, when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was the veil that separated the presence of God from people. And God tore, and the presence and the people were brought together. And what God brings together, let no one separate. I like how Joe says this in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything in all creation, we be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I, I promise you, in this pandemic, you were not separated from God. In this time of turmoil, you were not separated from God. That's a pain you do not have to feel. Because that is the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is, in life, you will have pain. In life, you will have suffering. In life, it will not go your way. But you don't have to go through it alone. The promise of Scripture is, I will be with you. And there will be a day when justice and mercy intersect. And all will be made right. And if you feel that pain, and if you want to know that enduring bond with God, I invite you to come as I turn this service over to Steve. ask the altar ministry teams to come down into your places here on either side and be available for prayer and and Kyle and, and had y'all man coming up here and just be available for prayer as well thank you for this so during this next worship song get your eyes on the Lord and what he's saying to you at this time and feel free to come up for prayer maybe something that was said today uh, made you feel uncomfortable and you are struggling to release that to God. Come and receive prayer. Could be something you're dealing with at work or a physical illness that is not getting better and you, you need people to join you in prayer. Please receive prayer this morning. Also online, we have a phone number uh, to call over the next 30 minutes this Sunday morning uh, to call that number. Lord, you're restoring right now. As I sat there and I started to confess my heart to you, Lord, I know there, there's people that need that restoration. 
and that you're drawing us back to you, Lord God, in that area, that sin, that compromise. So, Lord, right now, by your Holy Spirit, just bring us back into this holiness and purity. You, We confess our sins, our weaknesses, our distractions to you, Lord God. Lord, during this worship song, Lord, we, we desire the restoration of cleansing over us, Lord God. By your blood, thank you that you are faithful, you're just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins to you, Lord. So this cleansing, Lord God, it's a real thing. It's something that that happens on our soul, on our mind, on our being. Our body, our spirits, Lord, is freedom by your blood, Lord God. We receive that. Let's just seek the Lord right now during the worship song. I'm going to come back and I'm going to bless you uh, for the week. We're going to just send you out with a blessing. But just let's... The restoring heart of the Father just restore you right now.